This is episode 14 of the Hub Games Hangout, brought to you by Megacity Oceania. Available now from your local game store, online, and at wearehubgames.com. Who should we So should, we should be talking while it goes live, shouldn't we? Yeah, and then... Not eating biscuits. Rather than taking notes and eating biscuits. Mm. <laughs> it's okay to eat Diet biscuits. Biscuit of champions. Everything. Have you seen the book about biscuits? What a nice cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah. No, I, I've seen the book. I think I bought the book for somebody. I've not actually looked through it. I remember <laughs> listening to an, an interview with the writer and like the way he he ranks biscuits. Um, like hobnob is like your beginner biscuit because it for dunking in tea because you know it, it takes up ages for it to kind of dissolve. Whereas rich tea is for pros only. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I my, I have a game called, well, it's now called Shall I Be Mother, which is with Gibsons at the moment. They're looking at it. Um, but it was called The Biscuit Game, open brackets, not that one, close brackets, <laughs> which is about dunking biscuits. It's about, mm. it, basically, it's a ladder climbing game. So you're, you're putting in, playing biscuit cards out with numbers on them, and then you're trying not to get over a certain number, which is the, the capacity of the teacup. Right. So if you go over the number or equal it, then basically your biscuit's fallen into the tea and everybody around you says, no, we're not touching that. It's your cup mm-hmm. of tea. So then you get points. So it's having the fewest points at the end of the game. But you're playing these biscuits and there are things that aren't biscuits. They're end biscuits, like imaginary meringue and salt vinegar crisp and stuff like that. So I hope you have like a the kind of score thing, which is like almost like looking down on a cup of tea with like the points floating in it. Um, we just keep well. You don't need it because you just take the cup that you've le- left your biscuit bits in, mm-hmm. and then you just add them up at the end of the game, at the end of the round. Okay, it's a good laugh. It's a laugh, isn't it? And is there uh, is there a solo variant for that? No, I only got <laughs> solo games very recently. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute because I've just done all of the. Mm button pushing that's required you told everyone told everyone (laughs) it's like you went out the front door and just shouted (laughs) we might get more people watching that way (laughs) how yeah come on in so have you have you printed out aleph null yet then uh young michael not yet but have you looked at it i have yeah i've read through the rules i've uh read through the cards i just need to make sure that i put this into my printer and then i'll be able to print it out it'll be all good sweet that's uh, all good all right let's let's do this thing and in three two one hello lovely people it's just gone seven o'clock in the uk on wednesday the looking for the date desperately on my screen mm-hmm. 26th of august but of course time means nothing and death is inevitable um it is wednesday and this is not team talk rebranded baby there's no Streamyard logo up in the top right corner of the screen we've paid money we're being professional this is the newly renamed and reborn hub games hangout so there you go <laughs> now in fairness we're kind of like transitioning over because we haven't got all the branding done. But no, but you know, it's we had especially. It was like you know we had Uncle Tony coming over to visit. Um, we kind of did as much as we could. 
It's like desperately scurrying around the house trying to tidy things up, like, you know, shoving books underneath the couch cushions and, you know, yeah. a, cur a cursory wipe down of, of the visible surfaces. Oh, God, what's he doing? Oh, yeah, Brandon. Yeah. Nice. That's well funny, done. Brandon. I thought you were going to say, help me. <laughs> They're holding me hostage. <laughs> Um, so yeah, as of um, as of now, uh, every week is going to be the Hub Games Hangout, and we are going to be doing a lot more video stuff as well. Um, keep an eye out. We'll, actually, we'll probably have a lot of it sorted for next week, so we'll tell you about a lot more of it then. Um, but yes, we do have a guest, um, her lady, ladyship, uh, Lady Honey Blunt, before you're there. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to explain the name, Tony? You explained it to us anyway. But... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still he, him, but um, it's an anagram of my name. From, from many years ago, we did a series of Christmas presents with anagramized family members' names. And um, mine was Lady Honeyblonde. I didn't know it at the time. I just did everyone else's, but somebody did it for me. So I got a poem and a limerick to do with Lady Honeyblonde. So, um, uh, we, we, we have some, some mockery from uh, sometime host, Erin, uh, who loves the branding. <laughs> I'm wearing a badge. No, it's that side. There you go. Yeah. Nearly wore a T-shirt. Who knows? There you go. Uh, and as always, hi to uh, number one fan, Yoss, and uh, number one volunteer, Dan Knight. Dan Knight. King I, of... I approve. Uh, oh, I have to ask. I approve of the word huzzah, actually. It's not mm. used enough. Huzzah is a fantastic <laughs> word. It's a, uh, it's a very Dan word as well, which is good. Anyway, Murray, you want to say something about Dan? Yeah, so Dan, um, you might be interested to hear that Ashes has had a reboot. Um, oh, no. <clears throat> so you'll be able to play and you know we can get together online and play as well but we'll schedule that like separately sometime down the line yeah anyway let us talk about things and stuff um we should probably talk about uk games expo this past weekend well, because it, it was an event or, or do we to introduce tony well just give the overview of what we're going to talk about tonight okay all right well first of all we're going to talk about tony there you go. Second of all, we're going to talk about UK Games Expo and its online variant from this past weekend, uh, the Virtually Expo. And mm -hmm. last but not least, the main focus is going to be on solo gaming mm -hmm. uh, because A, it's a thing that Rory really likes. B, mm -hmm. it's a thing that Tony has dipped his toes into the water for a little bit. And C, it's a thing that I can barely stick. So we're going to see how it goes with a little discussion. Yeah, but I know you're a closet solo gamer, Michael. Oh, no. Um, the last game of Marvel Champions was actually a group game. Sorry, I take it back. I, I have played Marvel Champions solo, though. I will admit that. I will admit for my shame. Um, but actually, yeah, we should do what we normally do, which is, like, have anybody been playing anything at all? Um, Tony, you're the guest. Have you been playing anything in these, these dark, dark times? Um Actually, I'm wondering. There's a whining sound coming from somewhere. Isn't it? You're not picking it up, are you? It's it's very faint. Don't worry it's about it. All right, <laughs> we've got problems with our system. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, well, I've I've been dipping my toe in the online stuff, things like board game arena and Yucatar uh, and stuff. Um, but I, it's it, I'm not finding it immensely satisfying. I am missing the the banter. The Skype banter is not quite a, a replacement for the in person belly-grabbing guffaws that we're used to at the Ross and Y board gamers, um, the best board game club in the world, I think you'll find. Um, I have played a few things with the family, 
Um, uh, not many things. I, I have played a lot of solo games because I'm playtesting a solo game at the moment. So I tend to mm -hmm. resort to that every every now and again, usually when a meeting's going on rather too long on Teams. And so I can switch off and summon a couple of demons while while they just Mate, bang on about. He doesn't yeah. want to admit that. They, no, they might watch this eventually. Oh, they know. They know. So it's all about deliverables, Michael. You know, if you do what you're supposed to do, then, you know, everyone's allowed. I mean, I, I missed, I actually ran out of a Teams meeting on Monday because mm. I got food poisoning from a dodgy omelette that I had for a mid-morning breakfast thing. And I was sat and I was like, and I'm trying to describe this system going live. And it's like, um, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go. And then literally within 10 seconds, I'm hewing uh, the omelette. So apologies for the imagery, but it was a, a sudden thing. So you know, oh, what it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank God for the lockdown. That's what, all right. what, what a great opening for our show. Yeah, what a, what a provocative image. I was going to say, budgie uh, omelette sounds uh, like a 1970s prog album. I was going to say that you'd left and no one had noticed. Like it took half an hour for them to go. Oh, where's Tony gone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the usual. Actually, no, I've got another story, actually. Uh, Eston, about six, seven years ago, we used to we used to go to a Chinese restaurant. All this is what it's going to be like, by the way, everyone. Just yeah. diversions are plenty. But we went to this restaurant. We go there we go there every year. All you can eat for 20 euros, whatever it was. And they give you a free glass of green weirdness to drink mm -hmm. as well. Oh, and is it I, the vegan we place? All sat, down, <clears throat> we all sat down. It's the one above the Young Hotel. Okay. And we went. Uh, it got our tables. And I said, I'll, I just need to nip, nip to the loo. So I nipped to the loo. The urinal was occupied. So I went into the the the, the the cubicle, locked the door, had a pee, tried to get out, couldn't get out. The door <laughs> wouldn't open, and I was stuck in this thing for, it turned out, 35 minutes in the end. The guy from the kitchen came in. I said, can you get me out of here? And he said, no, no, speak English. So he went out, brought the chef in. The chef came in, tried to, he said, open the door. I said, I can't open the door. It, it just won't open. So he gave me a screwdriver, and I couldn't get the screws off. <laughs> He took the screwdriver and pulled the lock off the door. This is 35 minutes after I'd gone into the loo. So I went back to my table where the Pauls and all their friends were sitting and all our pals were sitting. Nobody said, where have you been, Tony? They just assumed I was having an enormous comfort break. Nobody said, what happened to you? 35 minutes. The thing is, I went back there the year before last and the door lock is still broken. Well, I... I... I have to say that was probably a very British thing where like they just didn't want to bring anything up because there's, there's no polite way to kind of broach that subject. You know, no, how was it, Tony? How did, you know, didn't care. <laughs> to be honest, they were probably glad of the silence. Yeah, I, I can see that you're, <laughs> you're sympathizing. <laughs> I think I think that kind of conversation is like the, the price of a great creative mind. It's like making those connections all the time, 24-7. Just like those synapses firing off left, right, and center, yeah. just linking to the weirdest places. <laughs> the report for that is on my blog somewhere. If you go back to like 2014 or something, the S around right. Essen, I, I, I do do sort of blow-by-blow -blow mm. documentaries of my time there. So it is there, and there's a lovely photograph of the knackered door and the story. <laughs> Anyway, what were we talking about? I can't remember. Yeah, so that's our UK. Um, thank you for joining us for our talk about the UK Games Expo. That's okay. <laughs> um, used up. <laughs> Rory, have you been playing anything? Um, I oh, so I actually was playing Ashes the other night. Um, cool. so we're kind of digging back through 
a lot of the expansion decks that came out um, in preparation for the re Ashes Reborn. Mm-hmm. So we're just playing with the straight decks, and it's a really good game. Like I'm really glad that it's getting um, the attention I think it deserves. Um, and then I've also been assembling and painting figures and buildings now for Test of Honor. Two. <laughs> yes. A page will be full by the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, setting up, hopefully, to play Test of Honor with um, Aaron at some point and yep. also a friend Stephanos. Um, I think. Reading the rules, Test of Honor has a really some really neat mechanics in it, so I'm kind of wanting to play them, and it's already kind of like sparking ideas for some things for future games as well. Nice. So yeah, I really like the cinematic concept behind the game, and just a few miniatures. And if I had solo rules, that would be awesome because I could just play with my little metal figures all on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Little metal figures sounds like a good name for a show. Um, that reminds me of a story about Meccano. Somebody referred oh, to Meccano. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you heard that story, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll stop. Yeah. Uh, what have I what been about playing? You, um, not a lot. We've got a game, an actual like interactive human game night planned for tomorrow, which is nice. Uh, where there, yes, will be more Marvel champions. Uh, but we're going to get High Rise at a table for the first time as oh, well nice. from um, Gilhova. Yeah. Um, and I've got the, I, I got all the, the, okay, I love Gil's stuff. I think he is a, a fantastic designer. He might be one of my one of my top designers. Um, so I went all in and bought like all the fancy bits. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, present company accepted. I got all the fancy bits. It took as, a like, while wood, for that to drop. Wooden, <laughs> All the wooden bases and everything, and um, like the extra cards and the fancy, uh, the fancy materials and things. So I'm looking forward to that hitting the table tomorrow. Um, Irish gauge as well, because um, I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, I, I have been doing some solo stuff. I've been playing this under orders from uh, from uh, Rory. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, Isla and something shiny. It's a, uh, a solo adventure game. Mm-hmm. Um, which ain't out yet, but uh, they were kind enough to send us the uh, the chapter two. So each chapter of is uh, is broken up into like a, a deck of cards, uh, and the first one is like you know ch- chapter zero is the tutorial that a lot of people got to try at uh, Essen last year, for example. Um, and then chapter one is sort of like the first bit of the adventure. Chapter two sends you off into the world of work, and it's um, sort of like. Hey, you've been traveling all night. Happy, happy, yeah. happy. And all of a sudden, it's just like, Christ, I'm a grown-up now. Boom. I don't know how much you're meant to be saying. We were kindly sent an, an early kind of uh, preview copy. It was successfully funded on Kickstarter last yeah. month. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Some, again, really nice, I think, system of that kind of looping day. Yeah. It was really interesting. It is really good. Um, oh, and I've also been reading through this uh, Tartarus Gate, which was on Kickstarter a little while ago. Um, it's from the nice folks at Rebellion, uh, the one and only Duncan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's like it's that old 80s vibe of a role playing game in a magazine. Um, oh, do you remember when 2008 really did that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. I've got upstairs somewhere, actually. I've yeah. got my first 10 years of 2008s in, in very special packaging, all in individual, Ooh. you know, comic. Oh, yeah. Like Mylar bags. What was um, the the weekly or the was it a weekly or monthly comic? Was it the Dice Man? 
Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, two thousand yeah. Dice Man. Yeah. Yeah, but it was like Slawner one and um, so, red one and. Uh, yeah, Slawner was done on its own in the comic. Sorry, in two thousand AD as a as an adventure one, and but then I think Dice Man was like the standalone comic. Yeah, they did like yeah. a spin off. Yeah, um, it didn't last for long, did it? No, it, no. About three issues, I think. It was well, I think they probably realized how much work was involved. In it. <laughs> <laughs> testing? We don't do testing. This is the eighties, my friends. Yeah, it did. Do you know, it's one of those things I would love to see come back. It's like it, it, it's perfect for yeah. like let's do a hardcover mm-hmm. version of it on Kickstarter and like people of a certain age, hello, us three, um, would all be like there on day one going, yes, please, thank you very much. Yes, like thank you. I'll have it through the post immediately. Duncan <laughs> will jump onto the feed and go, would you? If... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you're talking about printed publications. I'm going to give a shout out to Senate. Yeah. Um, yeah, really nice. I uh, did an interview which uh, will be appearing in it, uh, I think in issue four. Um, but just finished issue one, have issue two there, and pre-ordered issue three. And I just, I love the format. <clears throat> it's yeah. really interesting and beautifully laid out as well. Makes me feel very intelligent when I read it, which is a first. You want to be seen like, hey, look at me, I'm reading about board games, like yeah. in a cafe with your mask on. Um, so. Uh, we should probably, so that we have enough time to talk about solo games, uh, we should probably talk about UK Games Expo. Yeah. So and how that experience Yeah, Virtually Expo. Um, what was it? It was, it was meant originally to take place in May? June. May, June? In the May. But of course, with the world as it is, uh, it's, uh, yeah, they pulled it. Said we're going to do a virtual thing, and we're going to do a live one, a live virtual. Yeah. It was event. meant to be live last weekend, and yeah. then they changed that. And then they changed it, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we had hotel issues, um, you know, booking and rebooking and all sorts mm. of stuff. It was horrific. Um, but yeah, so they, they are. I mean, they're probably. I mean, given that they're the third biggest con, third mm-hmm. slash fourth, depending on when whether Orange Origins does better than them or not. Biggest con in the world, and the first one of them to do something online, aren't they? I mean, there was Gen Con a few weeks ago, but it was I very much a. It, it, it was. Well, <laughs> okay, hang on. We have to give credit where it's due. There's, um, I think BGG Con did theirs, and Dice Tower did one together. Yeah, so they did that. May. Um, Origins was cancelled. Um, and then we had. So, of the kind of. Let's call them the international ones. Um, then there was Gen Con. Um, and then there's been, I think there's been smaller like US events happening virtually, but it's just we're not really hearing about them. But mm. I know I've, I've spoken to people who have been attending virtual cons. They're just on a smaller scale. Mm. So, yeah, and we had our own one this weekend. And it was, it was better than Gen Con. I'm going to be. I am, I enjoyed it a lot more than Gen Con. Yeah. And I've been trying to dissect it. And I've been talking to our Rich Gain from Floodgate, um, or sorry, from Hush Hush Projects, um, publishers of Fog of Love, about it as well. And, you know, trying to identify what worked. Mm. Um, and But before we get into it, Tony, you kind of like stumbled onto our booth on Saturday and hung out yeah. for a while. Yeah. So, I, I, like, tell I, us, what's your experience been? Well, I started with 
the live feeds. I wanted the seminar stuff to see what was going on there. And there was nothing on anything when I when I logged in. There was just adverts rolling in the background. Two of the three channels didn't didn't have any schedules either for, for the Saturday. It was just mm. it didn't show what was going on. Mm. Um, and then I stumbled upon the Discord side of things. And in my previous experience of Discord, I've never really done anything on Discord. I you know we tend to Skype with our local Ross and Y group. Mm. But then I stumbled upon you guys, and there were people you could see and that you could talk to. And for me, that was exactly like me dropping by the booth as I would have done had we all been there in, in real life. And that's where I felt really comfortable. I really, really enjoyed just chewing the fat with peeps. And people were coming and going, and that was nice, joining the chat, hearing that I was hogging it, and then they took it off again, and that was all fine. And I did the same surprise stare, popped over to say hi to Alan, because Alan had, was basically sat with his laptop in, and waiting for people to say, hi, Alan, can I have a demo, please? So he was sat in the corner of his living room which seemed to me to be completely soul-destroying and pointless. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had some very interesting discussions with Chris B from um, Cardboard Edison. I think we had a good, a good old chinwag mm -hmm. about online cons and, and that kind of stuff. And I think for me, the thing I miss about the real con is not so much the games or the, or the sales bits of it or anything else. It's just the just not getting to speak to people or catch people's eye or wave to people as they walk past you on the way to something else. Or, you know, it's, and the closest that I got to that in this convention last weekend was just basically butting in on somebody else's live feed and, and, and just getting involved in whatever they were talking about. And I really loved that bit of it. But I, my one overriding disappointment was that it just seemed to be trying to create the geography of a physical convention. Um, and really was paying a little bit of lip service to everything else. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things I just want to comment on. I want to give like fair due to UK Games Expo. I think they did a brilliant job at what, given we're trying to figure out this whole thing out and how to make it work um, and, you know, having to commit to something quite early and then get it developed. I I think they did a really good, job because there was a couple of moments during the weekend where i felt like bizarrely i felt like i was at a con like i kind of joked about you know going into the chat where michael uh you and tony were chatting and i was joking going like get back to work demoing the games because it it kind of had this vibe of the two of you were off in the corner nattering and then someone came and uh it was chris i think from virtual playtest came up and he wanted to chat to me about something and i said oh well let's go into this room and have a chat so Mentally, I was picturing our booth at UK Games Expo and me kind of walking over and then seeing you, Tony, like leaning up against the demo booth, chatting away when Michael should have been demoing. So there were moments of that kind of interaction, um, you know, and they definitely improved from my perspective on Gen Con where it was everything was pre-booked and it was like discoverability was almost zero. Like there was little or no way to discover a new game and the mental load required to do it was really high because everything was pre-booked which is fine i think when you're doing role-playing game sessions not so much with games so i think the ukg did a good job in terms of the discord and dropping by like it seems unplanned but i think it worked that worked well for attendees to be able to discover things um 
and Michael, I think we were talking then, the main thing really is to make it more about the visual discovery. Like for me, I would agree, Tony, I think more video is needed, like in terms of um, on the booth. That there's times when the um, booth demoers are visually demoing and, and presenting. Um, but yeah, I but not sitting around waiting all day for someone to turn up like that's um I think that's the hardest thing of being isolated on your own during a con. Yeah. Um, because you're not seeing the flow of people and the waves and the hot, you know, hellos that give you the energy to keep going. It sitting on your brought, own. It would have brought back the days of two thousand seven when I was trying to sell Scandaroon. <laughs> my, my youngest daughter, daughter had come with me to Essen and um she was quite happy to go off and buy Haribo and play on the trampolines. Um, didn't have any interest in the board games. Um, and I, at times, I felt like I wanted to go as well. I just felt <laughs> eating loads of Haribo <laughs> because there was no fun to be had on the surprise dare stand that year. But yeah. I think if you mentioned the Dice Tower BGG virtual con, this is an example. There's an example of their events pre booking. Um, which Chris showed us on our little chat. And I, I linked it in my blog this week because it, cause not everything on there needed to be paid for. Um, and you could pre-book and everything you pre sort of signed up to appeared in a personal calendar for yourself. And, mm -hmm. and I, perhaps I think after I got over my initial disappointment, because I, I wasn't disappointed with UKG, I was just disappointed that I wasn't at an, a convention. And that just reminded me again that I'm not going to Germany in October, which makes me mm. incredibly sad. And I was thinking, actually, the problem maybe is that people are thinking about how can we do it this year until we get back to normal next year? And I'm thinking that there are plenty mm. of people who want to come to Expo or to Gen Con or to Essen who mm -hmm. can never make it. But there is an opportunity with the technology that we've got to actually open up this kind of access as a permanent feature to the normal show. So yeah. you make it. You can wander the halls, find the hidden gems, all that kind of stuff, buy all the, the new releases and get the promos. But if you're watching from online and the exhibitors are provided with um, the facility to to give their games to shoppers, personal shoppers who spend all their time in the show just buying games off people or simply crediting them to some accounting system and then shipping them off to them. So I could watch from Australia and go, I really like that demo. I want to buy that game. And then somebody in Essen is going to go and pick it up for them. Mm -hmm. And I, on the surprise stair stand, say, right, I am going to make sure that during my day, just like Bears and Paul Grogan did at UKGE, that my day has a very clear number of things that I will be doing. So I'll be showing a prototype of X at 10 o'clock. I will be doing a demo of Y at 11 o'clock. I'm just going to sit and talk with my mate from New Zealand because he's made it over to the show at 12 o'clock. And I make sure that I have live things happening. And some of the sort of the housekeeping things that you'd normally do, like the demos, perhaps you could push those to watch at your leisure because there's no joy demoing the same thing on, in an online environment or a physical environment if there's other things that you could be doing and adding value to your brand or your personal appeal or whatever it is you need to do. So it'd be much better for me if I could show prototypes and talk about what I think about the latest games and have fun. Mm -hmm. And if somebody says, well, I'm not interested in that, Tony. I just want a demo of Cousins War or March of Progress, I say, that's fine. Go over there. There's a really nice 10-minute video that covers the whole lot. Mm -hmm. you know, come back and talk to me about it afterwards if you want to. I'll answer some questions about the rules maybe. But allow people to see 
what it is about Essen and UKG that we love, which is people hanging over the counter, having a chat, fans, friends, fellow designers, fellow publishers, and so on. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a very good and well put thing about what what we're what we're trying to get. Um, actually, all of the events that we've done over the year. Um, from UK Games Expo backwards, and even actually, Rory, including stuff like that we've done with our own virtual world tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I there are there are there are positive elements that I'd like to take from all of those to combine into what I think would be like a great online convention. I know that like a, a lot of the shows are planning, or at least you know considering having a. If we do get you know back to normal next year, uh, they are considering having like an accompanying like online presence as well um but yeah it's, it's got to be worth it it's got to be worth the person's time um it did sound a little bit like avatar um what you were describing there tony it's like ah you are my virtual <laughs> shopper and i will go and do this thing here no i i think um i was just thinking i i, I made this comment at the weekend that when we first started exhibiting Essen, there were prerequisites because that's the way they did things with stands. So you had to have flooring, you had to have wallpaper to protect uh-huh. the boards and so on. And that all went away because they, they grew up. They came out of the 90s into the 2000s. It seems ridiculous that we, we have all this technology. We've all, you know, put lots of people, millions of working people have spent the last six months talking to each other like this and working like this, that we can't carry this through to give people the next level of experience, be it at a games convention or at a motor show or, or a caravan show or the boat show. It just seems so retro to kind of just think this is a one and done. Mm-hmm. When yeah. so much to be put forward. So I'm going to throw in a kind of dissenting voice, like, um, and a couple of things. One, I'm... <laughs> Well, go ahead, Rob. Um, um, point. Don't you agree, Michael? Yeah, good point. Very, very well. <laughs> that was a quick point. Uh, um, I mean, for me, board, board games are a very tactile experience. So there's one, there is, and visual. So there's a, a benefit of being at a con where you're you're drawn to a lot of games by the visual. Um, you know, and I think that's one thing that we need to try and figure out how to bring out. Uh, at the highest level of the interface or interaction for the cons. Um, I was talking to somebody, um, it was uh, Kieran from Cubicle 7, and he was saying he misses looking at other people's bags as they're passing, you know, while you're demoing and seeing the game and going, oh yeah, I need to check out that game. Or like the number of times I've shouted across at someone, I went, like, what's that? Where did you get it? you know, it's part of that kind of interaction between players or gamers, and, and that's a visual thing. So for me, trying to bring out more of the visual, like emphasizing the company less and emphasizing the games more. Yeah, just a, a, a nice big page and, with just like yeah. the front cover of every game that's available. Yeah. But Rory, the other, it's more just than before, that, before, I was before say, I just very quickly. It's more than that. It's that thing that catches your peripheral vision as you walk by a stand. It's not mm. necessarily the cover of the box. It might be one single piece. So you go, oh, yeah. what was that? And then you get hooked in. And mm. yes, you don't get mm. that without the right presentation. Yeah. So. I mean, and you can kind of get that, I think, by like carousel video and, you know, or GIFs or something that might help. But the other thing is, I know you were saying you want to talk to people and see presentations. 
and I get that a lot of people want to talk at the um, at the virtual cons. Like I think we've encountered that, Michael, uh, with demoing with people. But also, a lot of people just want to play games with people and and meet because they don't have the people to meet with, um, you know, at home. And this gives them like the point of a con is it gives them a focus. It's like okay, I am dedicating time to do this. Um, so I think it's really important that we do keep the demos and the walk up demos happening where people can discover that game because if they haven't booked it, it's a harder thing. Like uh-huh. Gen Con was totally organized to the hilt. Like there was no opportunity for a last minute walk up. So if we had spaces free, it was actually really hard to work around that. It was just like, okay, that's a dead slot because no one's going to book the game at at this point. And I think it's trying to find that balance between booked tables and kind of walk up availability is important because sometimes it just comes from, I think for us, like actually just being friendly when people arrived in Discord and going, hey, you know, what games are you looking forward to play? Like it wasn't a bot. It was us genuinely showing interest in that person and trying to help them find the game they they like. And I would hope people kind of respond to that then where they might have just bounced back off the Discord, but because you kind of snared them and they know there's a real person there, they can't just run away. Um, good old sales techniques, you know, um, that I think we got a couple of people in the games who might not have had that opportunity just out of shyness or being uncomfortable with the the tech. Um, so I think that aspect is really important as well, just the, this, the kind of random fitting someone in for a table like kind of going oh we need one more for this table do you want to jump in and join us i think that's a part of the experience as well that i'd like Mm -hmm. to keep or not lose anyway in the virtual space yeah i mean i'm in um i'm in the middle of setting up everything for spiel digital at the minute um so once i've had a bit of time to sort of dig into that and see what kind of things they're going to be presenting it'll be interesting to to see what they cherry picked from the previous events and what they're planning on introducing that is new like i know they're planning like the heat map of the virtual hall mm-hmm. um which will you know will that be as useful as like you know the beach geotness or the spiel direct top 10 mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see we'll see well i think at our end and we'll kind of just wrap it up soon i i think again talking to rich bots will be one thing that i want to look at how we use that to kind of support people coming to our kind of discord booth because essentially the discord is our booth it's it's not even the web page that they're hosting it's really our booth so you know how do we maximize that experience when people come i think organizing the channels um i've looked at some of the other exhibitors and there's definitely things to learn from others to kind of tidy up that experience and i think then like you said programming events for the Mm -hmm. weekend and that the more kind of off beat the event you know, or more unique that you can't get anywhere else. They're the ones to kind of push at the con. Yeah. As yeah. Well to kind of engage I, I, I do like the idea of like the virtual 10 minute demo. I mean, cause you could just make the video well in advance and it's just like, okay. And if you've got questions, come back and see me. If you want to play it, mm-hmm. we can do it. But do you imagine um, at Essen, there were the, when the Frago boys were there, God bless them. I don't know where they've gone. Mm-hmm. But the Burger Boys used to have a whiskey thing on the, on the setup day. At the end of the Wednesday setup day, they have a whiskey do over on their stand. And everybody would be over there. Freedom and Freezer would be over there. All the major publishers would be over there. They're all sharing a whiskey with, with the boys. Mm-hmm. And and last year, I, was, I went to a something organized by um, 
it was the French the French group in Hall Three because I was uh-huh. working last year for Alubari, and they they had a big do. And there's all the French journalists, all the French publishers, all together, all sharing wine and chatting, and being able to to to, to see some of that would be quite interesting as well. I mean. It would be quite intrusive if you're looking at something that's quite a sort of networky type thing. But I think seeing people cross fertilizing from the stands without having to kind of physically travel across the city to get to one place could be quite interesting as well. You know, so it is entirely feasible that you, virtually we could be sat, you know, you could be chatting with Uwe Rosenberg and Richard mm. Brees about workplace. Yeah. You'd have a great lot of fun with Uber because he doesn't speak much English. But, you know, perhaps you could get so, Bandmedics to do the translation. You know, that could be fun. OK, so here, let me see. Um, I think we can do that. <clears throat> so you'll, you'll hear, hear it first here. If we host a after show gathering on Zoom. After, after show drinks. Yes. Yeah. Um, because you can kind of break out into rooms, isn't it, on Zoom and have kind of chats. Yeah. So yeah. we could have. And can you limit people to like have their mic off? Not sure. We can either, we'll still look into it. Yeah. So we'll we'll host it. we'll host an Essen after party. And not like but like the, the way we'd play um oh um compact curling with the yeah. Finnish team Martinix as well yeah. and meet up with people there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think that's great, you know, that's valuable from the kind of business category because sometimes you get to talk to people who you wouldn't get to talk to during the day i'm not sure how much interest um people would generally have in you know being a fly on the wall of some of those well actually the heavy cardboard meetup at essen good grief yeah it is it is a wonder to behold and i have made some i'm going to name drop now like a so-and-so because i i've i've uh, gotten drunk on on plenty of Guinness with Paolo Soledad and Nuno Santiero and Mario and Ulla Blenemann and Gil Hovers turned up every now and again and Edward Ulla. We just, you know, that's that's something that you probably don't want to be showing. But you know, a nice little bit of a chinny wag with with peeps is lovely. But mm-hmm. uh, God, I'm missing missing Etan already this year. God, I'm not going to see these wonderful people. Okay, let's change the subject quickly. <laughs> Let's talk about sadness. Uh, <laughs> but we did a bit of that. Uh, Yoss said that he was really happy that uh, it was all open and not scheduled. Um, didn't have time to look at on the Saturday evening, so I was able to jump in on Saturday morning. Um, started days of wonder, have a demo from Karina, uh, where I think he played uh, World of Warcraft, small mm-hmm. World of Warcraft. And then, of course, he came over and played uh, Prism Arena with you, Rory, which was all grand. Yeah. Um, also, in the chat, the one, the only, Matthew Dunstan. Hey guys, it's three of my favorite people yeah, together. Yeah, Matt, I'm going to be hitting you up for a chat in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, you You're need to get list. better standards of favorite people, yeah. um, particularly that one down there. Uh, anyway, now to our main topic. Let us discuss the wonderful world of solo gaming. Um, all right, so I don't like it. Oh, God, God he's changed his name again. For me, solo gaming is it's my iPad, and it's really old. But it's stuff like I will play against the AI on this, playing like, you know, Agricola, you know, Tony's favorite game. Um, Potion Explosion, Patchwork, Inland Port, things like that. I will occasionally dive into the wonderful world mm. of actual 
card games and board games with stuff like Sheppy and um, the occasional Marvel Champion solo. But it ain't it ain't my thing, gentlemen. And uh, help. Well, it doesn't have to be your main thing, which seems to be what you're protesting about. It, I, I know there's a there, there is perhaps a little bit of elitism because the solo game community has been ignored for a great many years, and hmm. solo games on your table groups on BGG have done a fantastic job in in nurturing solo gamers and making them feel not alone. Oddly enough, mm -hmm. it's a weird uh, situation of that. But then, of course, the work that they've done, and through some of the the developers, David Studley and um, apologies, the chap who did the solo mode for the Automa stuff for Side, mm -hmm. um, those guys have, have pretty much now made it essential for the big games to have solo modes, and that's quite an achievement. And it's not been for lack of work; they have worked really hard on this. Mm. Well, one of the angles is you can learn the rules on your own before you introduce a game to a group a pure solo game on the other hand is people have been doing that for decades mm -hmm. or lots mm -hmm. of war games all those little hex and counter things they would pretty much solo games that you would just sort of program yourself so so i mean i will throw out a kind of a skeptical comment about the solo rules especially in kickstarter games like i, th I think they've become essential and you know i'm the target for them um and I think sometimes it is a case of it allows someone to go, oh, well, if I back this for like X amount of money, at least I'll get to play it myself. You know, even if I don't get to play with others, because so many of us have, you know, piles of shame of games that we've backed and never get to play. And I think sometimes the solo mode is just that like extra little hook that gets someone to part with their money because they can rationalize to themselves why they should get that thing um so that's like the negative yeah i mean that's that, um, yeah sure that's a selling thing because everybody wants them all the big games have got solo mode so everybody feels that they need to have them mm. i was told by uh hanno girk at lookout in 2012 when we were planning the uh, release of snowdonia when he first saw it he said the two-player rules are terrible and you really need to think about a solo mode for this game and so he just spent the last five years dealing with Uwe Rosenberg games, which all came with solo modes. Mm -hmm. so back then, he wasn't saying that it's because they need to learn the rules to teach other people. It was that people like to play games on their yeah. own. Like to, and I think we, we probably need to leave in this discussion the multiplayer games that have solo modes and, and look at the games that are specifically designed for mm -hmm. one person um, because they are different to the multiplayer solo modes i think they are two very distinct beasts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well let us talk then tony let's well, talk I'm of your first... lead, off, lead off with the solo game has to be designed with what mm. the one person in mind mm -hmm. it, it's not to be an afterthought for a three-player game that needs to be played with one person and i think they're very different approaches to game design as uh, are two-player games versus multiplayer games. Mm -hmm. Dynamic in a two-player game is not the same as two players playing a four-player game. So I think that's where we need to start is the solo game is about, it has to be designed with only one person involved and that person's personality and capabilities mentally and everything else, where they are in life at that very moment in time, can all help to enhance that solo experience. Mm. So, so Tony, you put... Um... 
uh, Lux Eterna, your solo game out last year. Um, what was the like? What was the thinking behind it? Did you just want to, you know, was it a uh, like a test as a designer? Oh, I just want to make a solo game. Um, was there more of a like a, a self challenge kind of vibe? Um, well, it's neither of those things really. It, my my game designs are across the board really. I don't really have a don't really have a, st uh, a like a distinct line. I mean, I like trains, but then I'll do lots of different things with trains um as a theme so i've got you know card games the board games I've got paperclip railways totemo is completely different from everything else and so on um i think with the solo game it came from the theme because i'm a huge 2001 space odyssey fan yeah. i love the soundtrack and i when i was doing long drives to and from work i would listen to it and it's particularly effective listening to that music when it's dark and it's late at night and you're driving home from london and I thought this is so atmospheric. I would love to be in a situation thematically where I am alone in space and I imagine this music playing and the tension rising and I'm having to deal with things and it has to be on my own. So it wasn't that I challenged myself to design a solo game. I just had an idea for a theme that I really wanted to see in the game. And mm. the way of approaching it was to be alone. So I wanted the, everything in it to enhance the fact that I'm alone and I'm having to deal with this without anybody's help whatsoever. So there's nobody saying you should play that card or between uh -huh. agreeing how we should approach any mm -hmm. particular game. I was alone when I was listening to the music. I was alone when I was thinking about the theme. And that's, it just, it just kind of progressed from there. So like, I, <clears throat> so I've, I've played the game, I picked it up um, and I love the theme and the artwork on the game. Um, you know, and we've talked about this before. I think that the thing I struggle with, um, and it comes up a lot in certain solo games, is that as a way of challenging the player, you create stress for them. And I think it's the one reason why I don't play Luxaturna more because of the, the kind of time aspect. I love everything else about it, like the artwork and the choices and everything. It, for me, when I sit down to play a game, I'm not that's not what I'm looking for, that timed aspect. Um, but I know loads of people do in that. Um, so I'm kind of curious from a solo perspective, is that like, what are the requirements that you want to fit into a game when you're designing a solo game? Well, there's two ways that, that Lux of Turner could have gone. One is the stressful, you have to do something and you have a limited amount of time. So that will warp your decision making you'll make the wrong decision and you'll come to regret it which i really mm. like because it feels like you're living a movie experience the other way is just to have no time at all and plenty of people play it that way and it just becomes a puzzle that you have to solve mm. and you play it most efficiently but for me the theme about a spaceship in peril and you in peril had to have that accompanying mm. level if the theme was something different um, if it was about, you know, having an entire year to prepare for a flower show and I was trying to grow the best flowers, then that feels to me like I must juggle my resources, my gardeners, my soil, mm. quality, my water, my irrigate, whatever it is. That feels to me like a much more sedate theme and therefore that it feels like it ought to be more of a puzzle thing. Mm. So I keep coming back to, to, to the theme that drives the hearts of, my, of the games that I like to design. And in Lux, I wanted to reproduce the feeling of Dave Bowman alone on a ship with a hostile computer, a hostile environment and unknown things coming his way. Mm -hmm. The only way to do that was to introduce the idea of the glitches, which is actually through maps. Mm -hmm. 
copious playtesting. Matt did a lot, and I, he kept winning too easily. And I had to, we had to come up with something <laughs> to make it really hard for Matt. <laughs> like tie one hand behind your back. <laughs> yeah, and I had one well, situation with Aleph Noll, the late solo design, because Matthias Nage at um, Frosted Games was saying, "Well, I can win this game forty percent of the time now." Mm -hmm. So for me, that's good. That's a good metric. Mm -hmm. That I can win it one game in <laughs> ten, you know, and I designed mm -hmm. the blooming thing. You know, he's really good at what he does, and he's really good at that kind of game. And it was still difficult for him. Yeah. So, but that's got a different kind of stress. And I, I think you probably won't like it. If you didn't like Lux and its time pressure, you'll find the decision-making in Aleph Noll as stressful because you, you can literally one wrong card and that's it. You are finished. So, <laughs> I, but, don't, I don't know. It's about that game's about summoning a demon from hell and surviving the experience. Yeah. Again, thematically, this isn't supposed to be a take your time, have a smoke, have a drink, talk to your mates, think about How it. How big are your drinks? <laughs> yeah, and you're playing solo. You don't have mates to talk to well, while yeah, you're playing. Well, there's all the demons and the tannists oh, yeah. and everything else. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the voices in your head, Tony. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that works. So, I, I, um, Tony, you were kind enough to send over the files to me um, for Aleph Null, your forthcoming extravaganza. Uh, into the world of solo, and I don't know. Maybe it is because the 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 theme and the the look of like even the you know the 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 early versions of the cards that you sent over. Because um, you, you I, I really like how you you really throw yourself into making your your prototypes look. You know they still feel evocative. They still feel really powerful. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, maybe because it is a thematic thing. But that is something I am looking forward to printing off and trying. Um, not because I've got anything like you know wrong up here, but you know I like the idea of trying to summon a demon. But it's aspirational, Michael. Yeah. What, other, what other aspects? What other other approaches to the solo game do you think that there are? Then because I, I, I my little dabbling in this oeuvre has, has mm. shown me the stressful element that's linked purely to theme. But what other in a pure solo game? What other things do you think are important to present to well player? Uh, curses you've turned the, the tables on me um <laughs> well i think no, one thing like, like dopamine you need that like some you need you need little successes little so, things that make you go yeah okay I've, I've i've made an achievement um there was just one thing i want to kind of celebrate with lux Eterna. um like i love the the kind of victory conditions <clears throat> you know i think for me playing a game that has very clear thematic victory conditions is really important if i'm playing solo i have no real interest in playing just point scoring games like can you beat your score or can you do higher um i like sheppy just because it's funny like <clears throat> um the choices and the mating sheep and the <clears throat> what's the one the meteor <laughs> cards yeah. you know it's that game is kind of concise enough that i can handle that but a longer game where it's the objective is just point scoring i have no real joy i want i want to play through some kind of story in my head like emergent story <clears throat> in the time that i'm playing the the game and that's kind of the other point i don't care if the game ends early or if i die if it excuse me <coughs> fits thematically within the the story experience um and like Michael, in the case of what you're saying, the dopamine hit, I've seen in our upcoming game, Combo Clash, 
um, the combo scoring in that game gives you dopamine hits big time, like every single round. And mm-hmm. that would make me think, how do you, like, I'm actually, I've been quite happy on Tabletopia as we've been testing the game, just playing that out and seeing what combos I create. It's like, I don't, it's not about winning. It's just like, oh, that was a really interesting combo. That was, you know, interesting. Mm. Um, and I think taking that mechanic and somehow moving it away from just point scoring into something else, I think would be really interesting to to see because it's giving you a little buzz every time. And that's kind of, I suppose, what you want when you're playing. If it's a 15-minute or 2-minute game, it's that one more aspect or go that kind of keeps you going through the play. So there's that. that's almost like the opposite of the stress-inducing. It's like it's just giving you a little, like, Jolts of pleasure rather well, than jolts of stress. Coming back, <laughs> coming back for more is is another key thing because, and it's a bit like cooperative games in this in in, in an odd sort of sense in that the dopamine hits. Yes, absolutely. If you if you get that pleasure from doing it, then that's great. It's a bit like playing mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering online, where if you win because your deck is a perfect ramp, everything about it is is great. You feel really happy and you want to play again. Um, I think with the solo experience, I've lost my thread entirely. So back to you. Okay. Super <laughs> skills. Well you done. You're looking for that. Um, yeah. No, like I, I have, because I've been mulling over some solo games and I'm, we're currently working on solo rules for like Prison Arena, which is a multiplayer game. But the concept of the game allows for you to kind of train on your own. And it, so that's part of the conversation is we're tr- I'm trying to keep it the solo rules are coming after the game, right? So all of the components are in the box and we're trying to look at what's there to create an interesting play experience that allows you to get better at the main game. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the point is like, you can play this on your own, learn some stuff so that when you go into the arena to play against another player, you've kind of skilled up a little bit. Um, But trying to, speaking to a friend, he had said, you know, in playing Marvel Champions, he was like, I don't want to play against an Excel spreadsheet. I enjoy playing against another player that gives me that uncertainty. And that's kind of the challenge with the, say, the Automata in Prison Arena is how do you keep it dynamic um, and tune it so that it's not super punishing to players, but also not super easy because it's like 40%, I think, is the target goal. Um, like, I enjoy playing. Um, Shadowrun Crossfire, but for me the success rate is like twenty percent, if even. It... Actually, I re- that's what I was going to bring up is about the idea that it, it can't be solvable first time. If you play a game and you win it as a solo game first time, you, well, why bother picking it up again, mm-hmm. doing something with it? So that progression, that development, and that if, part of the dopamine hit is if you feel that you can achieve something after three attempts. That you, you know, that's that's where the joy comes into. Mm-hmm. Um. Like the, for me the, well, this is then another t- thing I kind of wanted to hit on. So I'm just kind of throwing everything out into the the pot for conversation. For me, a big part of solo gaming is tied also to the setup time and the play time and the breakdown time. And so a lot of those big box Kickstarter games don't do it for me. Uh, I have a couple like, and, and I think Myth is like my exception. I'll I'll set that up and play. But even still it's like if the games could just set up quicker didn't use as many components or use them more efficiently (laughs) 
You're like the kid in the back of the class, Tony. I was I'm making up for it in my old age. <laughs> yeah. That that one is definitely not an anagram. Um the give me ten minutes. Well, the nice thing is I can also change Tony's name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Michael, Rory was talking and you interrupted. Yeah, yeah rude. Fox, yeah. <laughs> Odell, detention. See me after school. Oh, 500, 500 lines on why solo games are great. Go. <laughs> Uh, I will play Marvel Champion solo mode. I will play Marvel <laughs> Champion solo mode. <laughs> wondering, I was just wondering whether you could play Ashes solo. Is that right? Um, no, but it's it's funny. <laughs> you just want to reuse your graphics? <laughs> Do you want to try like? Is that Ashes three or Ashes ah, like oh, solo yeah, mode? Go. <laughs> uh, gonna, I'll catch you a bit later on. Don't worry, I'll get you again. Are you just? Tracking every time I I say it, yeah. or yeah, yeah, it's just kind of top of my mind at the moment. Yeah, you should, um, you should have another one that mentions myth, to be honest, because it comes up every. Yeah, episode. well, yeah, the it's in the forefront like, of your mind. Well, actually, I'm looking at Blackstone Fortress, right? Just to name something different, that's a dungeon crawler like that. Mm. Is is closer in terms of like setup time and play, but for me as a gamer, I'm even looking for something like a little bit more compact as a solo game in terms of play time so because i'm factoring in, in like the setup time the playing time and the breaking down time of it i mean um, you could be really um reductive and suggest that a solo gamer could probably leave a complicated game set up overnight mm -hmm. uh, and therefore the setup time and takedown time is probably not that important um but that setup time is still gaming time like I mean, there's a whole other conversation about gaming, but I've done that a number of times where um, I'm setting something up going or deck building. I'm like, I could just be playing something else, like rather than spending all this time prepping around. Yeah, but, but, but it's uh, still part of the gaming experience, Rory. Well, my friend, Mr. Yeah. Shep, who does a blog on BGG, uh, mm -hmm. The Tyranny of Small Decisions, <clears throat> he set up Spirit Island. He's just received Spirit Island and all the expansions and stuff. And he's playing through each of the different kind of personalities for the island. Mm -hmm. So he's got it set up in the corner of his room and he's just mm -hmm. playing through every single possible combination that he can. Um, because it, it, but it's a pig to set up to start with, but then he's got a goal at the end of it. So mm -hmm. I mean, it's a solo game but it has chapters to it rather than just this is one game and it's basically the same thing and you might see things in slightly different orders. Here it's the same structure, but there are different puzzles within that structure and, and mm -hmm. also lends the replayability if you can give a story, give a developing story. Narrative plays an awful lot in, in your chats because narrative is very close to mm -hmm. your heart. And I yeah. think it's really, I, I, I think it's e as equally important as the mechanisms that you put into the game. Mm. Uh, the greatest mechanic in the world, but if there's nothing to tie me into the, the decision making, I, I might as well just be pushing wooden cubes around without mm. any interest whatsoever. Like the games that for me thematically help me with my decision making because they kind of, if I think narratively, it tells me, all right, this is how I should be behaving in this game. They're the games that I kind of really enjoy. And and they make it easier to learn the the game. Um so I think that is an important part of the gameplay experience. And 
Yeah, I'd love that more in solo games. And I just, I find, I well, maybe it's just like you're always looking for that solo game that's the perfect one, and I've never quite found it. Well, uh, Aleph no for you then, Rory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See how you cope with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we have um sorry, Mike, Mike, come up here from Mike who says uh, not everyone can give up space for a game set up full time um which is true you know we come from a place of privilege where we you know we've got our we've got our game table over in the corner or whatever and and that is it's a super useful mm. thing to have um you know hell I would love to have a game set up permanently but you know, Steph needs to use the table when she's doing her work. The mm. cats will jump up on it, and I don't want to see them eating half my copy of High Rise, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it, it would be sort of like a, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'd sort of like try more solo stuff, whether it's solo mode or who's gone again. Well, um, I was going to suggest you turn on the light. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was going to say it's. Um, yeah, maybe I would play more solo stuff or more try more solo modes for you know multiplayer games if I had the the room for it, the space for it. So I actually played. Um, I picked it up in an amazing game cafe in Reno. His name the Glass Die. The Glass Die. That's the one. Um, I picked up Palm Island. Oh yeah, um, and that is quite. I really like what they're doing with like it's an 18 card deck um resource kind of management game um and it's really neat it like it plays in your hand we actually tried playing it in a moving car um but we realized usability it doesn't work for smaller hands so my daughter who's a, like a teen really struggled with holding the cards in the way that is recommended um and I was like, oh, that's an example of an like an adult male designing something, <laughs> you know, for their hand, but a younger player struggling with that. It's all those like little hidden usability things. Um, but that game is neat. And you can actually like level up so you gain new cards that you can add to your deck as you're playing, and then you can kind of put it away and store it for play later. So that's kind of worth looking at. Um, but that's kind of like my ideal thing is almost that compact game you can carry with you, take it out, progress a little bit, and then when you're done, put it away, uh, even well, mid-game. or Actually, that was going to be my, my, my next question. What is, for you two, an, an ideal solo game? Like Whether it's like uh, from a component point of view, whether it's from a technical point of view or a thematic point of view, or all three combined. Tony, like, do you want to go first? Yeah. After the demons, Rory, what's your dream theme? Yeah. Um, I'd love, I think I'd, I'd really like a solo game that makes me care, really care about what I'm doing in that game. Mm -hmm. That allows me some time to think. You know, it's partly why I don't play... Um, like switch as much I, I love some of the experiences on it but there's something it does to my brain that i just get sucked into that space you know into the, the smaller screen um whereas when i'm playing a board game the spatial aspect of it is quite important to my brain um i don't know how to explain it any better than that but like seeing things laid out is different from watching it in a small screen 
It's sharp um, focus versus like like you were talking about earlier, yeah. Tony. The um, like the peripheral, the stuff that's happening all around. Yeah. Um. So I think for me, something that has ideally some kind of narrative, um, or arc that I care about. It doesn't have to be like an epic story, but there's an arc within the game that I I care about. Um. That I, ideally I can play it within an hour to ninety minutes, um, including setup and breakdown, because that would get me most evenings I could kind of go yeah by the time I stop at nine o'clock I'd have the mental ability to play it because the time when you play the game is also important and by the time I'm sitting down and I set up those bigger box games it's after 10 by which point I'm like "Uh, my brain is fried so I'm not going to to do that um and I, I guess I do like minis in that 3d sense but like five minis in a game would be enough you know, just something that adds to the visual aspect of it without it um, kind of overtaking where you've got hundreds of, of minis with a game. I don't yeah, need that. that. Really, that's just assisting the theme, isn't it? Reinforcing the theme, I think. Yeah. Um, minis do that without being just bling. If they do add that. Yeah. And uh, like Anita, I always quote Anita, and you've heard this tons of times, Michael, um, she always is like, Forbidden Island is like close to the perfect game because it goes back into the box as you play it. So basically as the island sinks, you're putting all the tiles back in the box and by the time the game's over, you just put the lid on. <laughs> you're like, I'm done. <laughs> well, that's what you do with, with Aleph Null because you, you have to deconstruct your starting deck and the cards mm. that you sacrifice go back in the box and they never come back into play again. So okay. you get that, you see. But I actually, I did. I have got... Uh, a mock-up of Aleph Null, but I've completely changed the theme. So instead of summoning a demon, what you're trying to do is you're a Jane Austen character trying to find a suitor. And mm. so as you're whittling away all of the periphery of your society to find your Mr. Darcy. So okay. I should send you the, the Pride and Prejudice Jane Austen Northanger Abbey version. Michael can go for the demon summoning, and you could tell me, it'd be interesting to see whether you get yeah. simply because the theme is different. different yeah well i could i have three daughters uh in the house so um, you should have the demon summoning one yeah yeah um and i just know like they would be more attracted to that theme um but i'm thinking just, from a play perspective mm-hmm. um the urgency you get with one theme compared to the i need to make sure i i, I find mr right they're very different approaches to how, mm-hmm. you, how you make your decisions, I think. And the consequences of failure aren't the same with the, with the different themes. Mm-hmm. The psychology there of, you know, um, how you feel about, you know, missing out on Mr. Darcy because of whatever, as opposed mm-hmm. to being condemned to eternal damnation and punishment mm-hmm. if you didn't have enough blood or you ran out of magical power or whatever it was. I don't know, man. For for that era of um, that era of history, you know, being condemned to spinsterhood was, you know, pretty much the same. <laughs> well, I've I've just realised that I have been playing solo games since I was a kid, and not realising it. That's not called us. Oh, we see. Sorry. Yes. Thought you could talk about something else. No. <laughs> I'm going to change your name to Filthy Tony in a minute. I was um, about. Dice cricket. <laughs> Actually, I played dice football a lot as a kid, so yeah. there you go. Uh, or dice FA Cup. Um, but yeah, like the yeah. Uh, Fine Fantasy books, um, the Lone Wolf books, 
um, oh, Steve Jackson's sorcery. Yeah. You know, the, these are a, a, a big part of my childhood. And mm -hmm. I, do you know what? I wouldn't actually mind uh, going back and trying some of the Lone Wolf books again because they were, they were really good. Lone Wolf and, for me, it was also, oh, I can't remember, it was the ninja-themed ones that I loved. Um, hmm. Still have oh. holiday memories, being in Gory in County Wexford and, like, going, <laughs> are, are we going shopping? Are we going shopping? And I'd run to the bookshop to buy a copy. Um, but actually, so a bit later, for me, um, Space Hulk, the solar rules in that, um, and I think some on BGG people have released kind of, like, fine-tuned rules. Hmm. I love that. I love so there's tension in that game, Tony, because there's the uncertainty of the mounting doom of you know the um um what are they called in the game? Um Neck uh no, no. Yeah, just, no. Uh Gene Sealers are like racing towards you in this cramped space and like the action um economy of like to turn takes an action like 90 degrees so the fact that you're like turning they're moving closer you're turning they're moving closer and you're going oh my god and then your your gun jams like those little things in that game i love and i i rebought the game recently and sat down and it was just transported back to my teen years like <laughs> to me it's very it's not an overly complex game very simple actions but just the flavor of the game comes out so well. And I think solo works for that because you, again, like you're saying, you feel alone. It's like we're this lone, in that case, you're a lone squad. It'd be interesting to try and do it as a um, a kind of a lone Terminator trying to survive, but then kind of balancing out what the player can do is important. Um, but that's... That's I suppose close to like a perfect game actually in terms of that experience. Um, have you? I'm I'm sure you've both played Space Hulk at some yeah, point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've not actually. I I kind of missed the Hero Quest Space Crusade Space Hulk thing. I kind of I, I played the early Games Workshop stuff like Block mm. Mania, being a massive two thousand three fan and mm. judged the board game. And then kind of missed all of the other stuff because we were we we were moving on to diplomacy and risk and mm -hmm. blood royale and role. We did loads and loads of role playing in the mid to late eighties, I and mean, it was insane. We did live role playing as well. We were we worked with a guy that did live role playing in the Forest of Dean, and we were monsters quite regularly. And he used to pay mm -hmm. us in beer and and free food, and, and we just got to dress up and beat people who were paying money for the privilege, which sounds mm -hmm. like a what you'd find in London now. But um, <laughs> then it was in the Forest of Dean. Um, Actually, y'all reminded me, uh, if we're going to talk Games Workshop and Solo, Chainsaw Warrior. I was going to get to that. Go ahead. Um, well, it's like, yeah, that was like the first pure solo game that I had, like kind of box game, uh -huh. I think, that I ever bought. Um, and it was brutal. But again, it was, I mean, some of it was probably a bit too random by today's standards. But the feeling of dread that you get when you you play that game was pretty incredible. Um, it's interesting. You've been mentioning, or you've been telling us about the games, and they they've all been referencing the fact that you picked them up when you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, there is a. I mean, obviously, when you grow up, children do spend quite a lot of time in their own company, and mm -hmm. seriously, 
how much of us of the solo game is kind of transporting you back to that feeling where you are experiencing something that is yours that that is not for anybody else it's like you're you've done something yeah. that no one else has done and, and there's a feeling of that exclusivity i suppose is there a nostalgia is there some sort of no it's, thing it's no i i get what you're saying i think part of it is <clears throat> one i'm just too disorganized to plan in advance to get people around to play games um yeah so uh it's kind of too late by the time by the time i say michael will know like nine o'clock i'll go oh does anyone up for a game you know um <clears throat> like, i'm getting no. ready for bed at that time i'm old yeah so um because i have a kind of family and by the time we sort of dinner and get everyone sorted it's a bit later um and so at home it's just the kind of games i like that maybe have uh, a fantasy theme or uh, minis and stuff my family members aren't that interested in so mm. I just play them on my own that's most they're the kind of two main reasons um, and I don't have anyone going oh, rolling their eyes at what you're you're doing which <laughs> that's probably, the, occur that's probably the occurring theme in my life like with books and comics <laughs> and role playing games <laughs> it's like I don't need that anymore um i think uh, my perfect my perfect solo game would be card based not because it's portable but i just like the process of processing cards i, yeah. I mean my love of magic the gathering and things like that from my past i just like them as a as a component in games and i like a game to be 15 minutes for me because it fits in nicely i do i do sometimes i look back on my day and i think how the hell did i manage to fit 16 hours worth of stuff into a 12 hour available space mm. i do an awful lot in a day um so the ability to just duck out for 10 minutes and just get a distraction it's like it's like the, you know when you're working in front of sort of screens closely they they recommend that every 20 minutes you just look up and look outside and change your focus from a, mm. from a to a distant focus for, for a minute and then go back to, and just it just helps your physical sort of well-being and your psychological well-being just by just changing that focus and i think sometimes just being able to go right focus on a solo game 15 minutes done right i lost never mind i'll come back to it later on i'll mm -hmm. do something else now i like i like that because i have so many other things going on that it's nice to feel like i'm fitting something meaningful into the little gaps between you know they're the little stones that fill up the, the gaps between all the big stones of your day hmm. Um, I think that's probably a good place to bring things to a close, to be honest, unless Rory, you've got more points that you'd like to throw out. No, I was just going to ask, what would your solo, like, what would you need in Ooh. a solo game for it to appeal? I think it's going to have people. to be something. <laughs> yeah, like six <laughs> or seven people also at the table. Um, you know, we could be playing some sort of, I don't know, multiplayer, solitaire thing. I don't know, something like Agricola. That'll, that'll be it. Mm. Not a multiplayer solitaire, you buffoon. <laughs> no, I know, Unbelievable I know. I know. If, Unbelievable. if anything, yeah, that's the one of the most nasty cutthroat games I've ever played in my no, life. It's, not the cutthroat. it's about being aware of what other people are doing. The important thing of a game like Agricola, not just Agricola, games of that star are about getting into the timing groove. Yeah. People often refer to it as doing something that no one else is doing. And in order to do that, you have to pay attention to mm. what other people are doing. Um, and being opportunistic sometimes, but making sure that you are staying away from what everyone else is fighting over. Um, 
don't have a problem with solo games, of course, unless you have an automa that's trying to to ruin your plans for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think for me, I, I am I am always going to keep trying them. Um, like uh, I, I've tried the villagers one recently, which actually I I really enjoy, and I'm not sure what what itch it seems to scratch. You know, maybe it's the uh, you know I feel like I'm making progress as I go through the game. I feel like the the uh, the countess the like the uh, the AI I'm playing against actually has some level of there's a little bit of randomness in there, a little bit of life, I guess, as opposed to just like a pre-prescribed list of things that they are always going mm -hmm. to do. Like, yeah, they're just following a pathway, but sometimes you'll be surprised by something. Um, same with Oh My Goods, the um, Revolt in Longsdale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I know I said at the start of this, oh, I'm Michael and I don't like solo games, but, you know, there are obviously a few things out there that I do enjoy. Um, I think I I do more enjoy games that happen to have a solo mode. Um, maybe because my solo plays of those will enhance or develop my skills in the full, like the the, the multiplayer version of the game. Like you were saying earlier with Prisma Reno, Rory. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the route I should stick to. You know, I'll still try the odd, you know, specifically solo game that's thrown out to me. Mm -hmm. But I'm also sort of like happy to have solo modes in multiplayer games. And, you know, I'm also happy to play like, you know, solo versions of, of apps or whatever. Um, like Mike mentioned on there, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, he likes playing Ticket to Ride, Splendor and Terraforming Mars on like Steam or his phone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still solo gaming. You're still playing a game on your own uh, and it's still entirely viable it's still mm -hmm. completely legit um i think there's a big world that we all get to that we all get to pick bits out that we really enjoy um Michael, would you consider both of those games are they tableau building well, villages um villages definitely is and oh my god i can't remember how oh my god yeah yeah Maybe I just like tableau building, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the, true. Guilty and the fact you get to do it on your own, yeah. <laughs> get full yeah, control play, over my world. Play three tableaus twice a day for a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Tony, thank you so much. It is um, much appreciated having you on. Mm. Pleasure. Uh, thank it's you been lovely. Me. Oh, we did have, uh, Yost did just quickly mention, try Under Falling Skies, Michael. Uh, printer when you uh, add ink to your card and cartridge to your printer, a couple of dice and some counters. Uh, that's a new one from Czech Games Edition, but mm -hmm. there is a full print and play on uh, their website uh, that Paul Grogan has been extolling the merits of since the beginning of time. Um, but yeah, dude, thank you. It has been a lot of fun, as always, mm -hmm. with your 19 name changes. Bless you, yeah. bless you. Uh, yes, I know that we don't have an S in this year, but uh, there is the Gathering of Chums which hopefully I will get to uh, see you at, which would be a lovely thing. That would be lovely. It would be good, good times. And I guess Rory can come as well if he wants to. If he wants to, yeah, bring the family. There's lots of lovely places to walk around here. It is nice. <laughs> It'll be good times. Uh, so uh, if people do want to uh, find you online, Tony, how can they do so? Well, uh, uh, Surprise Stair Games is the company that I, 
I am involved with sometimes, uh, letting Alan do all the work. That's www.surprisedaregames.co.uk. I am Tony at surprisedaregames.co.uk, or you can see me every day on Board Game Geek at the Every Man Needs a Shed blog. Uh, it is really good Tomorrow's has is, got some bad language in it as well. Um, but then I am talking about. Is that like a selling point? Well, <laughs> or a warning. It sounded like a selling point. I did have one chap geek mail me and tell me that he was never going to buy any of my games and he was selling all the games of mine that he had because my my uh, repeated use of terrible words was offending his Christian sensibilities. And surprisingly, yeah. I was very courteous and said, that's fair enough, mate. I'm really sorry that it's upset you, but sometimes I have a good day and sometimes I have a bad day. When I have a bad day, sometimes it just means I express myself in the way that I do. It's my blog. I've been sanctioned for it by BGG sometimes. But it's, true. it's my good side, it's my bad side, it's my creative side, it's my stupid side, it's everything. It's it's Tony's diary, basically. So every man needs a shed. Yeah, Everyone's and seven working. million Snowdonia promos as well. Oh, yeah. All dotted throughout there. Um, we, of course, can be found at uh, wearehubgames.com. Uh, we are Hub Games across all of the socials, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, the whole nine yards. TikTok. TikTok, probably. I don't know. But probably going to start up TikTok at some point. Mm. Or I'll just ask my friend Matt and say, what's the next big social media thing that I need to jump on and just like get, you know, cut to that instead. We'll see. Um, we are going to be doing. So oh, I just noticed what you've done, Rory. Screw you. <laughs> Wait to see how long it would take. I was going to write the real. <laughs> Uh, we will be back, of course, next week. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel at 7 o'clock UK time, 2 o'clock for the East Coast and States and wherever else you are on the planet. Um, do keep an eye out on the Facebook and Twitter and stuff as well because we are going to be doing some changes over the next uh, days and weeks, uh, which will involve a lot of stuff like live plays. Um, so, yeah, if there's anybody who's interested in signing up, uh, to come and play things like Combo Clash or anything with us online, um, do give us a shout because it'd be lovely. Uh, mm -hmm. Tony, we'll see you later. Um, Rory, I'll probably see you tomorrow. And yeah. this is where we now wave and say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye.